Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Last week, we uh, began this transition, if you will, into the book of Acts. We, we did the journey to the cross leading up to Easter. We did Easter Sunday and talking about the death, burial, and resurrection. And then last week, we talked about the four different types of people post-resurrection. You had Mary, the believer. You had the uh, Mary, mother of Jesus. You had Mary Magdalene, the one who was clinging on to the past. You had Peter, who was full of shame. And you had Thomas, who was full of doubt. And we found ourselves in one of those four categories, and, and, and this is the last part of this transition before we go into Acts. And then for a while, we're going to just go systematically, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. I, I believe the book of Acts is as, as more relatable today as it probably has ever been. When the culture is getting darkest, God has shown the brightest, and I believe he's looking for a church that will do the same. Yeah. Amen. So let's go ahead and grab our our Bibles. You can see this in Matthew, Mark. Luke doesn't have this account because he starts his account in Acts chapter 1 when when he's writing it, but it's a transitional thing. So Matthew chapter uh, 28, 28. And we're going to start off in verse 16. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went away to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed them. This is the Mount of Olives. Uh, Ironically enough, don't you love it? That the same mountain he's betrayed in is the same mountain he ascends into. That'll preach. Um, but when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go there, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. For lo, I am with you to the end of the age. We call this the Great Commission. But honestly, I, I, I love how Mark goes into a little more detail of what Jesus says. And you can see this in Mark chapter 16. And it says this, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. That doesn't seem like there's a lot of gray area. Can I I tell you, Jesus is not interested in being politically correct. He's just interested in being correct. Because if we can, and we're going we're gonna to dive into some things, and I'm not trying to be offensive by any means, but naturally the gospel is exclusive. By its own admission, it is offensive. It's meant to offend. It's meant to look at the world and say, I'm sorry, what you're doing is not okay. And I know we're living in a world where people are not, not okay with... Uh, being offensive at all. Like, when was the last time you really heard somebody look at somebody else? How about this? When was the last time you were in public and you heard a mom or a dad look at their kids and say they were wrong? Forget looking at another adult. Just their own kids who are losing their minds. Has anybody ever seen a kid lose their minds in Walmart or to scream and yell and, and, and slap at their moms? And then they go, hey, it's okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like, why are you apologizing? Unless you're apologizing because you're prophetic in the beating that they're about to get. I'm sorry what's about to take place is going to whip you back into shape. I, I don't know what's taking place, but we live in a world now where anything that's uncomfortable is now deemed wrong. I, I love, I am 
not at all in shape like I want to be. I'm not, but I, I have been exercising. My mom's been coming with me to work out, um, and it's been interesting to watch uh, when, when you're exercising because you begin to look up things. She told me she was looking up different exercises and looking up routines and, and, and how to do different forms, and, and I do the same thing, and, and, and I cannot remember his name to save my life. Who is Superman? Um, no, no, not the, the one that's still alive. Um, Carvel, right? Um, I don't even want Thomas. He's not helping me out. Um, anyways, uh, I'm watching some of his workout videos because he is just built like Superman. It's incredible. And, and, and he says this statement. He goes, it's hard. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But they marvel at my physique because it's been hard and they don't want to do things that are hard. People don't like things that are difficult. We have lived our lives now in a world of comfort. We run from the building to our car. We were remote start our car just to get the AC going because any sort of, any sort of heat or uncomfortableness is wrong. I went with Jess yesterday to the football game. Sean and them, they were there too. Uh, and, and it was funny because like, we moved because the sun was too hot. Like I, We're sitting at a football game in the stadium, and we are all getting up with all of our kids and doing a caravan at halftime around the stadium because it was too hot. And as we sat there, we, we watched the entire three quarters of the stadium empty out. A free football game to watch Alabama. A free game. It's packed out. It was like 58,000 people there. At halftime, there might have been 30,000 people or 20,000 because everybody that could move into the shade moved into the shade. And if you couldn't get in the shade, you left. You just left. And, and, and you're watching this going, there's, when we get uncomfortable, we just leave. We quit. This is the issue with the church. When it's hard, we quit. Reading the Bible is hard. I don't think it's hard. You put words together to make a sentence. Like, it's just it's what you do. We learned this at a young age, how to read. You, 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 praying is hard. See, there's a difference between hard times and things that are uncomfortable. Do you know why reading the Bible is uncomfortable? Because it shines a mirror in my face to show me where I'm not right. And I would much rather live in ignorance than to be forced to deal with the consequences of conviction in my heart. You know why praying is hard? It's because it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. Praying is awkward sometimes. Has anybody not ever, you've experienced, you're praying, and you're just like waiting for something and nothing happens, so what do you do? And Can I tell you, living your faith out is hard. It is so much easier to live just like everyone else and to blend right in than to have conviction in your heart. This is what he says. These signs will follow those who believe. <clears throat> In my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they will speak in new tongues. In my name, they will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick, 
and they will recover. The passage is called the Great Commission because Jesus is commissioning his disciples and everyone since then who reads and hears this to do something. When you see something, I did a little bit of research, and I'm not at all familiar. I'm sure Ira can run circles around me in this one. But when you're looking at an enlisted man versus an officer, it starts off being a, a commission started off in the Roman Empire. And what was interesting is that when somebody was commissioned, they were commissioned to gather people, to build up an army, to, to train them in the ways, to guide and protect them, and to lead them when needed. That sounds a lot like, I don't know, being a pastor. Your role as a commissioned officer in the things of God is to gather people, to train them in the word of God, to protect them from the evil one, and to lead them into battle when needed. So when you accept a commission of God, it's not just about me. It's about going out, gathering in, training up, and leading them out. So this is what we're supposed to do. The very first thing is this, is that you should go into all the world. One, one, one passage says this, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, then to the entire world. And I love this because these are his final words. Think about that. Last words are so important. If you knew today when the sun goes down that you would no longer wake up again and you'd be in glory, what would your words be to your kids? Would it be clean your room, cut the grass, what would your words be to your spouse? What would your words be to your parents? What would your words be to your cousins, to your neighbors, to your family members? If this is the last day you live on earth, I've asked myself, if this is the last Sunday I preach at New Life, what would I preach? Because last words mean something. Egypt, this is the last Sunday you were to sing a song uh, to lead us in worship. What would the songs be that you would pick? Gladys, as you sit and you cut hair, and this is the last time you will ever see every one of your customers, what would you tell them as your last day? Sean, if this is the last week that you would ever do youth ministry again, what would you tell these students? Because this is Jesus' last words. Because last words have weight. I plan on living a long time, as do all of you. But Jesus knew this was it. Jesus knew the very last things that I'm going to say. And what does he tell you? It's this section right here. Because his last words <coughs> were the most important words he could share. Let's walk through his words. These last words are what led the rest of Acts, Romans, Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Peter, John. This is, these last words turned history. You've got to remember, up until this time, 
following Jesus was great. For 40 days, they hid. In fact, they were still hiding at this moment. But there was something about this section, this moment, the next 48 hours after this word was spoken, that something shifted inside of each and every one of them to go from cowards to being men and women of God who would change the world. Jesus makes this statement, go and preach. Well, how are they going to go and preach if they're always hiding in their rooms? He lays it out for them. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. It's the equivalent of me going, I want you to make a disciple first in your home, second with your family, third with your co-workers, fourth with every person in the river region. This is what he's giving them. They understood their assignment. And it's the same assignment that takes place today. And what's crazy is a recent report says that 64% of evangelicals don't know what the Great Commission even means. You ready for something that's worse? 47% of evangelical American Christians believe sharing your faith with someone else is wrong. Not, it's wrong. 47% of evangelical Christians, which is you, half of us think it's wrong. The other half doesn't think that it's wrong, they just don't do it. America used to be a nation that was the missionary nation of the world where we would send men and women across the seas to tell them about the gospel. And now in our own home, we have now believed that sharing my faith isn't just private, it's wrong. John Piper tells us there's three types of believers when it comes to the Great Commission. There's the the zealous goers, the zealous senders, and the disobedient sons. There's those that will go. There's those that will send financially. And then those that are just fully disobedient. And you're always one of those three. He tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The good news. The first thing you have to do is to identify your field. If you are a farmer and the harvest is truly ripe and Jesus is telling you to go and make disciples, you have to identify your field. You've heard it said that you will bloom where you're planted. Can I tell you in the history of where you could be, God put you in this area for a reason. So grow in this area. Make disciples in this area. Psalms 96 tells us to declare the glory of the Lord amongst the nation and talk about his marvelous works amongst all your people. The Great Commission is not a new thing. The psalmist tells us to talk about the glory of God to all people. The first thing you've got to do in identifying your field is look for people. Look. How many of you ever bought a house without ever seeing it? 
You didn't even look it up online. You just closed your eyes, gave some money to a real estate agent, and said, hey, just, just buy something. No. What you do is you look, you hunt, you compare properties. You look around and go, huh, I wonder where I could grow. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to retire. I'm going to do, where, where can we be happy? I'm 82 years old, so three flights of stairs is probably not a great idea for my future. We're going to look for a single floor or something with an elevator. And how much is that upkeep going to be? And what's the neighborhood going to look like? What are my taxes? What are my HOAs? What are my utilities going to be? Hours upon hours upon hours where we research a property before we even schedule a visit to go and look at said property. And then we pick it apart. Why? Because it's important to us. And when identifying your field, you've got to lift your eyes up off of yourself and look at the field around you. Who is in my area? What are my coworkers going through? What about my family? What about my kids? What about my relatives? What about my neighbors? What about the people that are in my, my, my area, my walking group, and my shopping group, and all of these things? Who, where is my field, and which field is ready to be harvested? Look up and look around. Shop as if you are a farmer getting ready to plant some seed. You don't pour the seed out on the asphalt out here. You till up the ground. You pick a place, and you go, this is going to be where my garden is. My, my dad has planted a garden up here on this field for how many years? It's been years upon years. You all know Alan. Does he do anything just because he randomly decided to? He's walked this property. He's looked at this property. He's looked at the lighting and when the sun comes in and comes out and made a good decision on which area would be good dirt, which area is going to be far enough away that kids aren't going to go and trample all over it and, and kickballs aren't going to go flying over and knock all over his crops. He, he walked this area, all what, 18 acres or whatever it is, and looked and made a decision based on an informed opinion. And when you're walking around holding a sign saying turn or burn, it's not making a decision on an informed opinion. Look at the fields around you. Identify what's going on. Catch up with your family. Call people over for your house for lunch or dinner. Post on social media. Take somebody else to dinner. How about this? Just ask somebody how their day is going. The next thing you've got to do when it comes to, to making disciples is you've got to focus on the gospel. <clears throat> John 3.16 is an easiest verse for all of us. For God so loved the world that he gave everything for you. You live a consistent life in front of people. And part of living a consistent life doesn't mean a perfected life, but letting people into your life to watch you rise and watch you fall and get back up again. Allowing unbelievers to watch you have great days and bad days and make course correction and not blame everybody else for your problems. You've got to be a friend to everyone. You've got to be a good listener. So shut up. 
My dad has preached this to me my entire life. Even a fool is wise when he keeps his mouth shut. So you don't know what to say. Don't say. It's okay when somebody comes up with this thing they've watched on TikTok on why the church should have 66 books and why we, we counted out so many of them in the debates. And if you don't know the answer, you go, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I do know my God. It's okay not to have all the answers. When you're making a disciple, you're not signing up for a debate class. In fact, avoid controversial debates. When they bring something up, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is he loves you. What I do know is he forgave. What I do know is these things, which leads me to the third point, is to have your testimony, your testimony, your testimony. At any given moment of a day, I should be able to hand you a microphone on any single Sunday and say, hey, can you share your testimony for the next five minutes? And you should be able to give it in a heartbeat. What is my testimony? It is what my life was before Jesus, how I received Jesus, and what my life has been since that moment. It's those three things. That is your testimony. I was lost. I was hurt. I was an addict. I was whatever it was. It doesn't have to be this big, glamorous, horrible moment. I was okay. I was great. Something inside me wasn't right. I went to a youth camp, a church service, a kid's church. I talked to my parents. I talked to an uncle. Somebody led me to the Lord. Since then, my life has been fulfilled. I have highs and I have lows, but I have a peace that passes understanding. And in the craziness that's taking place in our world, I know that it's going to be okay. You don't have to preach an hour-long sermon to lead somebody to the Lord. You just live your life. You ask certain questions about their lives. And can I tell you, 90% of the people that you come in contact with, when you say, hey, how's your day? It's going okay. Really? It's going good, huh? Well, they, they get used to those repeated answers, and when you really ask what's going on, they're going to tell you things are wrong. I'm scared. I'm stressed. I'm not sure about the economy. I'm not sure about my marriage. I'm not sure about my kids. I have tons of fear. Why? How do I know this? Because this is what the media is pushing in front of every single person is fear, 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 fear. And for us, that's awesome. Because love casts out fear. And so when the entire world is scared out of their minds, we should be like glory to God. They just poured fertilizer out for us to tell them the good news of the gospel. Keep preaching fear. I don't care. Because as the more fearful they are, the more light I can shine. We've all dealt with it. He who believes will be baptized and will be saved. Let's skip ahead to verse 17. And these signs will follow those. In the Bible, there is literal verses. There are moments where Jesus uses parables. There are times he uses metaphors. Okay? In this passage, you're going to see literal and you're going to see metaphors. Okay? Did Jesus cast out demons? Yes. That was a literal thing he did. These signs will follow you. You will cast out demons. 
in our world, the chances are that you have encountered somebody that had an oppressive spirit on them and you didn't even know it is almost certain. But it's not like the movies. In fact, you can set somebody free from a demonic possession without even knowing you set them free from a demonic possession. You can be at Walmart. You don't have to be like, shh, and it sounds like Xena Warrior Princess, and they throw themselves on the ground, and aisle 15, Cheetos are going everywhere. They're, they're having a seizure. Like, that's not what's going to happen. Nine times out of ten, that's not what's going to happen. In fact, the vast majority of people aren't possessed by the devil. But mentally, good Lord, they are being tortured beyond possible comprehension. And when you walk up to somebody and they're acting kind of strange and they're saying weird things and they have high highs and low lows and it's really weird and they're unstable, most likely they don't need a lot of medication. What they need is an intervention by the Holy Spirit into their life. And it doesn't have to be somebody looking at them, but you've got a demon, I'm going to cast it out. And you hype yourself up and I'm going to run around the neighborhood five times praying in tongues to get hyped up before I lay hands on somebody as if we're trying to build up our strength like we're some kind of an anime character and trying to get hyped up before our fight. That's not what has to happen. No, what you're going to do is you're going to walk out and the Holy Spirit, according to Acts, will lead you in all things. And just speaking calmly about the love of Jesus over somebody's life, speaking calmly about his goodness in your life, sharing the testimony and then going, well, that can't work for me. It, why can't it work for you? Because of all of these things. And you begin to speak to them in a very rational mindset that Jesus loves you just as much as he loves me, you will begin to watch things fall off of them. Cast out demons means setting somebody free from something that was oppressing them. That's all that really means. Whether that's somebody throwing themselves on the floor and convulsing or somebody just going, well, I never thought of it that way. That is setting somebody free. I had a conversation on the phone with somebody recently that was dealing with some very, very hard thoughts towards themselves. Okay? They're not possessed by the devil. Not even close. But you can tell by the way that they're framing their thoughts. They're not thinking clearly. I speak life. I never thought of it like that. You're probably right. That's an interesting viewpoint. Thank you for talking to me about it. What it's doing is it's releasing the shackles that's been placed over their minds. That is... The same thing he's talking about right now. The second thing is this, you will speak in new tongues. This is a controversial statement. It's controversial because some believe, we can, every single believer has to pray in the spirit and tongues to be a believer because these signs will follow them. If they don't do these signs, then they're not saved. This is another one of those moments that is both literal and metaphorical all at the same time. Literally, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, does the Holy Spirit infuse you with the ability to pray in a heavenly language? Yes, he does. If you don't pray in a heavenly language, does that mean you're not saved? No, it does not. But you know what should change? How you talk. You'll speak in a new tongue. It may not be Xena the warrior princess. You may not be trying to shundle the bow tie keys to Mahanda. Like you may not be breaking out in tongues like that, but I once was somebody who always spoke fear. 
I always speak in doubt. I was always speaking horrible moments, and now I'm finding myself being positive. That's a new tongue for somebody. Somebody speaking faith over their life is a new tongue to somebody. Somebody looking at something and going, uh-uh, I'm not going to curse that. I'm going to speak life over that is a new tongue to somebody. And when all of a sudden you're realizing that I'm speaking in a new tongue, it may be English, it may be Spanish, it may be whatever your native tongue is. It's just a new way of speaking over your life because your words matter. And now all of a sudden I'm speaking in a new way than I once was. That's a sign of the Spirit of God inside of you. How about the next thing? This is one of my favorite sections here is that they will take up serpents. Who wants to bring out some snakes? This one here, yet again, literal and metaphorical at the same time. In that time, there were serpents. Paul got owned by a serpent, shook it off in the fire and moved on. In our day, we don't really deal with a lot of serpents. If you get bit by one, there's healing, there's grace, there's mercy, there's all that fun stuff, there's Lay hands on yourself. But chances are you're not going to deal with a snake like that. But the metaphorical side of this is a serpent is something that is cunning and crafty, meant to sin to destroy you. I know people like that. Do you? Remember, the serpent at the garden, did God really say? The serpent never bit Eve. He convinced her with his craftiness and cunningness to go against God. That's what you're going to deal with. Those are the serpents that you're going to deal with on a regular basis. People who are actively crafting a way to manipulate you to going into something you shouldn't do. The Bible tells us that you're going to deal with serpents. It's okay. I love the next part. And you'll drink deadly things. To drink, that word in the Greek, is to have something that is meant to refresh, but it's been poisoned so you will die. That chances of that, some to none. Metaphorically, what it's taking is, I'm going to do something, hear me out, that is meant to refresh, but it's the wrong thing to do. And it would kill everybody else. But God is going to protect, guide, and guard my life. And everybody's going to go, how did you survive that? You ready for this? You are living in an economic society that is going to die. Yeah. Is finances evil? No. It's not. But is there a chance, like there was in 2007, that when the housing market crashed, you had something, you bought an investment. I knew (coughs) numerous people who bought houses. That's a good thing. They had the idea, this is going to enrich. They had the idea, we're going to tithe on our inheritance. They had the beautiful idea. They didn't realize what they were doing was buying at the wrong time. And then it turned into poison. And they had these three, four, five hundred thousand dollar houses that were now worth thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, and they were upside down. And everybody else went bankrupt, but they didn't. Why? They drank a deadly thing and it did not kill them. 
God is continually setting you up. And the, one of the worst things that we could do is to buy into this woe is me mentality and line ourselves up back in our stinking thinking and speaking. God's grace is with you when everything is going your way. And God's mercy is with you when everything is trying to kill you. That's a sign that when everybody else does the same thing you did, they put their kids in the same school you put your kids into. They let them go to the same movies you, sent, you, you let your kids go to. They have the same friends that your kids have, but their friends and their kids are being influenced in this way, but you've been speaking life into your kids, and your kids go this way. Well, why are your kids so much different? That's a great question. Let's have that conversation. It's not because I got lucky with my kids. It's because I was intentionally with putting them before the Word of God, and God directs our path. By no means it will hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is one of the last things that he says. You will lay hands on the sick and you will recover. This is literal and it's metaphorical at the same time. You have the ability through the Holy Spirit inside of you to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. No doubt in my mind. However, I love that he uses that phrase, lay hands on the sick. To lay hands on somebody that is sick, you have to be close to them. Our world is doing its absolute best to isolate you from everything and everyone. What they're trying to say is, hey, buddy, I'll, I'll pray with you. Keep you in mind, man. Stay away. Keep distance. We are up in arms of the social distancing protocols that we dealt with the last three years, yet we're so stupid to realize we haven't been spiritually distancing each other for 20 years. It's when the downfall of American church really started happening. It was 20-something years ago. Because we began to to spiritually social distance way before a physical thing ever took place. It, It became this Noah's Ark approach. As long as me and mine are okay, y'all can all go to hell. Well, no one would ever say that. But it's what we did. We all got our lucky lottery ticket, and we would stop reaching out. There used to be a day where you used to invite your neighbors to church. There used to be a day where you would invite somebody to dinner and talk about God. And our circle used to be, back in the day, our family and friends, our co-workers, our neighbors. It used to be the, the parents that are stuck with us for four and a half hours where we watch our kids run around the bases. They can't go anywhere. That's a captive audience. Connect with them. We're fixing to go into fall, uh, to, to travel baseball season. And I love it because I'll have conversations with parents. They're like, well, we're going to be missing this Sunday because we have a travel baseball game. I'm like, great. You're on the mission field. Preach. You've got a captive audience right there. But no, we, we put our blinders on. We stay away. I just want to focus on my kid. I don't want to get into your life. I don't want you to get into my life. I just want to stay here. And you don't realize that by protecting yourselves, you're condemning everyone else around you. And this is the mindset we have to find ourselves in, is missionally minded. 
We have our neighbors and our, and, our, and, our, and our people that we don't even know go through a traumatic experience with a tornado or a hurricane. We can see uh, train derailments and airplane crashes and horrible car accidents, and we will rally to give them what they need, yet we're unwilling to spiritually help them at the same time. The vast majority of people, this is the answer I get, they go to church. What church? I don't know, but they go. Y'all, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. I'm not, try- I'm not trying to be mean. Come to church, be a part of a church, but that doesn't make me a Christian. I can sleep in my garage, but I don't turn into a Ford F-150. Living a life, and I, and I hate to be so blunt, but if I can be just for a moment, and this isn't judgmental, <clears throat> and if it is, it's not my heart. The Bible says this, go into all the world and do these things. And when you do these things, they will be signs that you are with me. So as we close, if I don't do those things, then I don't have those signs. If I don't have those signs, then what am I? I've begun to wonder, we've, we've taken, like I said, the Noah Ark approach, my family is safe from the flood. And I know we don't, we're not saved by works, but by faith. But our faith always has action with it. If I believe in something, I do something for it. Always. Always. And yet, I'm asking myself, am I a believer? Can I be a believer and not believe enough into it to share my faith? I'm not saying every single Sunday or every single week you've got to go and lead somebody to the Lord or you lose your salvation. But let's just be real for for a moment. When was the last time you truly shared your faith with somebody? I'm not asking for hands or numbers. Like seriously, when you were able to talk to somebody about Jesus, how long ago was that? Whether you led them in a prayer or not, I'm not asking about that. That's their call. That's their choice. I'm talking about you sharing your faith. Has it been a month? Has it been a year? Has it been 10 years? Has it been 20 years? Have you ever shared your faith with somebody? There's a lot of us in here that used to be really passionate. Again, I'm not talking about bringing a bunch of people and filling a room up. I'm talking about you. Whether they ever step foot in this building or not is not consequential at all. I'm talking about you sharing your faith with somebody. Or have you found yourself part of the 47% of Americans who believe that it's wrong? That's a harsh, hard thing to believe. But Jesus tells me that these signs will follow those that believe. So are these signs following you? Because if they're not, are you really a believer? Let's go one 
just turn that knife. I'm already getting fired. Let's turn that knife a little bit harder. Even the devil believes. I believe in Jesus. So does he. I believe he died and rose from, from the grave. So does the devil. I think we've, we've, we've bought into this, this version of our faith that may not be sustainable. I said a prayer when I was six years old, and I'm good for the rest of my life. I, I bought a lifetime membership to Club Jesus. And I don't have to do anything about it. Uh, I, I got, uh, Jessica makes fun of me because I get on my diet and workout kicks. And you'll know that because I don't stop talking about them. Why? Because I'm excited about it. Does anything actually change on the outside? Probably not. But I'm doing something and I want you to know I'm excited. And this new workout and that workout. And she's like, I don't care. She's like, I love you, but I really don't care that you did an inclined bench with dumbbells today. You could have just said, I worked out. That would have been enough right there. What did you do today? I worked out. No, that's not what I say. Well, I did four sets of this and three sets of that, and this is what I lifted. And she's like, yeah, I don't really care. (coughs) Why? It's exciting to me. I just did something. When our faith is no longer exciting, I'm wondering if it's there. I will rave about a movie, but I'll yet to talk about my salvation. I will rave about a TV show, and you've got to watch this show, but I won't talk about my Savior, and I'll, I'll tell you about the restaurant, what I ate, and how I ate it, and, and the, 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 the majesty of the restaurant, but yet I'm not going to tell you about your sin and salvation. And, and I'm finding myself passionate about things, and the one thing that actually will probably matter, I'm not passionate about, and I'm beginning to ask myself, and I pose this question to you is how can I call myself a spiritual believer in something full of faith yet never want to talk about it? And then I comes back around and going maybe maybe I don't maybe I'm not as passionate about it as I think I am. I, I don't want to be the disobedient son that John Piper talked about. I may never travel to Honduras and preach the gospel. I may never go to Moscow and lead thousands to the Lord. But one thing I can do is I can tell people that I'm close to about Jesus. You may never have a passport. You may never leave the state. You may never leave the river region. But there are plenty of people around you who need Jesus. And they can look at you in the face and say, I know God. And yet you can listen to the words that they're saying and go, no, you don't. You know a version of God, but you have denied his holiness. You have believed a false version of God. When the disciples began to push forward in the New Testament, and we'll talk more about this next week in the book of Acts, and they began to do things, you know what's the craziest part is they never believed that they started a new religion. There was no religion that they started called Christianity. They believed that they were still in the Jewish faith. They, were, they just had a revelation of the Messiah that they were trying to let people know. What they were doing is they were going to fellow Jews and saying, I know you say you're one of us, but let me explain something to you. There is a Messiah. You haven't heard of him, and let me explain him to you. 
They were talking to people who believed with all their heart that they were already connected with God and were converting them by the thousands to let them know you think you're right, but you're wrong. So just because somebody says, I go to church and I'm a Christian and I said a prayer at Bible Sunday or I went to VBS when I was eight, you can still have a conversation about the faith because more likely than not, they lost it. And if you reawaken it, awesome. You talk to somebody that says that they're a Christian about their faith, and they say that I'm a Christian, one of two things are going to happen. You will reawaken a passion inside of them to stir up, or you will recognize that they're actually not. Because if they get mad, how dare you talk to me about faith? Really? Well, not, there it is. Know that answer. You know what? You're right. Thanks for talking to me. I, I'm going to talk to somebody else, and I'm excited that you came and approached me, and you're bold, and you got faith, and you did all this. Stir them up. Don't settle for everybody around me as a Christian. I work at a Christian school. God knows not everybody who goes to a Christian school is a Christian. Trip. Heaven knows their parents definitely are not. Don't settle. Don't settle. Last words are so important. And this very well may be the last words, last moments, last chance you get to tell somebody before they or you go to eternity. Don't look back and go, if I would have had one more time. You have one more time. It's today. You have one more moment. It's now. Don't think that you will always have this moment forever. The chances are we are running out of time. I'm not even talking about Jesus coming back. You are literally running out of time. The vast majority of us in this room will be gone in the next 40 years. You're running out of time. Your family is running out of time. Your, your kids are running out of time with you. Your parents are running out of time. Your coworkers are running out of time. Your clients are running out of time. The bridge is out. Scream at them if you have to. Shake them alive. <clears throat> go to heaven and say, well, I did it all. They said no, but versus go to heaven and go, and I wish I would have told them. Oh, you've got this moment. This is it. Share your faith. You are commissioned to train up. You are called to train up. So do it. Or stop calling yourself a Christian. Be honest with yourself. It's your call. That's all I got today. I was mad at myself for this message. I was in the, looking in the mirror this morning going, I, I haven't done this right. I haven't perfected this. 
the amount of time I go to the gym and don't share my faith or talk to somebody or make connections. Again, you don't walk around, hi, my name is Pete, have you met Jesus? But when you're connecting with somebody at work and you're helping them with an air unit or you're connecting with them at the office about something, we have moments in our days. We've got to take them. All right. As for myself, God forgive me of not being aware of the moments, taking them for granted. I want to be a man that the signs are following. A person that is an obvious Christian, where no one has to ask me, are you a Christian? But I just exude it with who I am. Heavenly God, minister to us today a heart of passion for who you are once again. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.